Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and the power that are in your word. I pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't allow us to be dull today. Don't allow us to be, to be dead today. Quicken us. Help us to be, help us to be alive to what, to what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives, not just this day, but from now and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, life in a fallen world is a war. It's, it's, it's a war. It really is. Uh, the unbeliever is helpless. In fact, the only thing the unbeliever can really do is just kind of hope, well, maybe it really isn't a war. <laughs> you, you know, maybe it's nicer than it looks out there. You know, or maybe the war will end soon. Well, the war's going to end, but... Probably, well, no, not like the unbeliever thinks it's going to. Uh, but, the, but, they're, but they're really helpless. But the believer, on the other hand, the believer knows about the war, knows that he or she is on the winning side. And that's good to know, but it's also good to know the rules of engagement. Because if you don't know the rules of engagement, you may be on the winning side, but it might be in spite of you instead of... Well, it's never because of us, but certainly in spite of you. Let's just put it that way. The rules, the rules of engagement are, are very important in order to thrive in a situation because what may be right in one situation may be absolutely wrong in another because the rules of engagement are different in those particular cases. In some countries, if you go and you, uh, and you serve food and you eat all of it, that's not good. Because they think, oh, what you're saying is we didn't have enough food for you. In other places, if you go and you don't eat all of it, then they think, what's wrong with the food? Depends on what the rules of engagement are. So you need to know, you need to know some of that stuff. And, and this passage, the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the armor of God. Uh, I'll be talking about part of it next week. And then Elder, Elder Rado, Elder Rodney will be, uh, will be up uh, uh, another week and talking about it. And, and uh, I'm sure you'll find out some stuff then. Uh, but t- today we're going to talk about the foundation for this whole thing, for, for this armor of God business. What are the rules of engagement? And, and basically there are three here. And the first one is this, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, you, uh, you understand that it's not about what strength you can bring to the situation, because quite frankly, you can't bring any. You get right down to it. Uh, some examples from scripture, Jacob uh, in the Bible, he, Jacob had a brother, his brother's name was Esau, and uh, they were twins. Uh, but they weren't identical. They were they 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 weren't a whole lot alike. And uh, and Jacob had always been he'd been the he'd been the the smart one, the crafty one. 
uh, and and Esau not the sharpest knife in a drawer, and and Jacob had done some you know done some things that 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 Esau didn't find too um, too nice, and so Esau had decided that he was going to kill Jacob. That, in fact, that's uh, he he began to, to tell everybody you know as soon as my father's dies, Jacob's dying, and so Jacob left. Uh, because he was fairly smart, and his mother was kind of smart too, and told him, you, you need to leave for a while, and I'll let you know when things cool off. And she never let him know. And so he'd been gone for some 20 years. He had uh, he'd gotten married, actually he had a couple of wives, woohoo, and, uh, and a bunch of kids. And uh, But things weren't too great with his father-in-law, uh, Laban, either. So he came back, um, and, and, and when he got back, he realized uh, Esau. You know, Esau's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he's the biggest one and the hairiest one too. And, uh, and so when he, when he got ready to come back, he sent, sent some servants to Esau to say, hey, Jacob's back, your brother. And, uh, and he he's, would like to see us. Isn't it great? Uh, and Oh, I, I, I just love it because, you know, uh, usually the big guy's not the underdog. But when the big guy's this guy, then sometimes he is. And, and, uh, and Esau got him uh, because Esau sent the servants back and said, well, I'll go to meet my brother Jacob. This sounds great. And he took 400 men with him. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Now, whether or not he was going to do Jacob a mischief or not, I don't know. And I really don't care. He got him. I mean, Jacob was sweating, sweating bullets. And so on the night before he was going to meet Esau, he, he, uh, you know, he got everything sorted out and got, got his groups separated out so that maybe Esau wouldn't kill them all. And he stayed on the other side of the Jabbok river and he fought with the Lord. He fought with the Lord. And it was on this night that his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And some people say he fought with the Lord and he prevailed. No, he fought with the Lord and he lost. Important safety tip here. Anytime you fight with the Lord, you're going to lose. That's right. And it's a good thing. It really is. Because when you, when you get to the place where you're struggling with the Lord and you come to the end of your strength good things happen. See, that's when his name got changed. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't like he had, you know, the Lord in a a hammerlock or something and going, all right, give me a new name here. No, uh -uh. the Lord reached out and touched him, touched, touched him in, in, in the hip and took all of his strength. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp, you know, and when you got, when you got that, when this, I mean, you may have big old biceps, you know, you may have uh, Ronnie Wimsett type of, of biceps. But if, if this is gone, you're not strong. Because that's where, th- these are where the big muscles are. These are, this is where the leverage is. And God touched it. And as soon as that happened, he also changed his name. And he became Israel. He became a prince with God. And he became a new man. You never see Jacob. You never see the old Jacob again. He's not the one deceiving anymore. He gets deceived a few times. Didn't used to happen to the old Jacob. He gets, he gets, he's the one who loses some things from time to time. Didn't happen 
to the old Jacob, this is a new Jacob. He's a new guy. He's weak. He's Israel. Prince with God. In the New Testament, most of you are familiar with uh, the Apostle Paul and the fact that he had a, a thorn in the flesh. He was given a thorn in the flesh over in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7, Paul says that. And a lot of times people read that passage and the only thing they get out of it is, well, I wonder what his thorn in the flesh was. Let's argue about his thorn in the flesh. You know, was it his, was it his eyesight? Was it, a, was it a, 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 an evil spirit that came to, you know, just what was his thorn in the flesh? It doesn't matter. Because that's not what that's about at all. Paul says, I, I had these great revelations and all these wonderful things were happening. And I was just, uh, I, was, I was even taken up into heaven. And because, that all, because of that, God gave me a thorn in the flesh so that I wouldn't think I was anything special. And when I came to God and I asked him to take it away, and I'm sure he rebuked that thorn in the flesh and cursed that thing and stomped on the devil's head and did all those kinds of things, God said, no, no. Mm -mm. My grace is sufficient for you. So just, you can, you can handle this because my grace is going to see to it that you handle it. And every day that goes by, you're going to understand it's only by the grace of God that I'm able to move into this day. And then there was Gideon. Most of you are familiar with that story. Gideon had too many men. The, uh, the Midianites would come into the country uh, every year, long about harvest time. They'd come in like the locusts. There were so many of them they couldn't even be counted. And, and, uh, and the people finally cried out to the Lord, and the Lord came and appeared to Gideon, uh, the least member of his family, who was the least member of his clan, who was the least clan in, in, uh, of the tribes of his tribe, one of the least tribes of Israel, and said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And, you know, and Gideon's going, you know, who? But it's him. And he blows the trumpet, and 32,000 Men show up, and God goes, no, it's too many. Tell everybody who's afraid to go home. 22,000 men went home. So he's got 10,000 left, you know, and he's kind of going, okay, you know, 10,000. I mean, the enemy is as numberless as the sand on the seashore. It's like an invasion of locusts. We only got 10,000 guys, but I believe we can do it with the Lord. And the Lord says, you've got too many. Because if, if I let this many win, then you're going to think you did it. Kind of go, oh, no, no, no. No, I mean, we would know the, the Lord is always the one. No, we, we're stupid. <laughs> we, we truly are. We think we did it. We really do. You get right down to it. And so he went out some more of them, taking them over to, to, to drink. And he said, you know, the ones that get down and drink, you know, like it's their last drink on earth, send them home. You know, the ones who just take a little water and lap it, and, you know, and they're, they're keeping an out from that. Those are the ones. 300. 300. That's just ridiculous. And that's the point. Because... Otherwise, there's no way that could possibly happen. 
And so that's, that's how God has to do it at times, just to, just to teach us a lesson. We dare not think that we can do something in our own strength. We dare not think that we can win the victory. Shakespeare, when he wrote the play Henry V, he wrote about Henry's great victory at Angincourt. And of course, we don't know anything about it because we're Americans, but, the, but there were only a, a few Brits and, and, and the army was discouraged and, and, and exhausted and the French far outnumbered them and they were, you know, they were, uh, they were fresh troops and, and ready to go in and do it. And, and the English won this incredible victory, um, this miraculous victory at Angincourt. And, and, uh, Shakespeare puts these words in the mouth of Henry when he's, when he, when he understands that they've won, he says, praise it be to God and not our strength for it. So it was Shakespeare, you know, I mean, was he a Christian or something? I don't know. They, they say that he was involved in writing the King James Bible. And so he was probably familiar with this verse of scripture. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do. And it doesn't even say not much. It says nothing. I mean, that's a zero. That's, that's, a, that, that's a goose egg. The only way to stand against the devil's schemes is with the full armor of God and in his mighty power. And let me, let me, uh, let me just say one other thing here. Um, you know, I, I like that song that we sing, and I don't want to stop singing it, but uh, God is fighting for us. God is on our side. That's half right. He is fighting for us. And if you're, and if you're saying that he's on our side in, in, the, in the sense that he's on everybody's side, you know, he gave his son for us and he's at work for the good, of, you know, then yeah. But, if, but in the sense that he's on our side and not on their side, over in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua and the, and the Israelites are outside of, the, uh, uh, of Jericho. And Joshua sees a man. <laughs> and this is some man. I mean, it's, it's obviously a very large man and a man prepared for war. And Joshua goes over, up to him and he says, Are you on our side or are, are our enemies? And the guy says, Neither. Neither. I'm here as the commander of the Lord's army. Whew. Whoa. What, what was the, that tran, uh, the translation? You said it wasn't the message, so it must have been the New English. What? Uh, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Yeah. And that's, you see, it's never a matter of God is on our side. He gives us the opportunity to be on his side. Say that. And that's a very important distinction because otherwise then we tend to begin to think, well, if this is what I want to do, God, come on, let's go get them. And God's going, really? What do you think I am? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then the second rule of engagement is to recognize the true enemy. Jesus 
He's the example here. Jesus never spoke against Rome. Never spoke against Rome. Never, never spoke against any of the political powers of the day. And why would he? I mean, he had been, uh, he had been offered all the kingdoms of the world and went, no, no thanks. Uh, because it wasn't about the kingdoms of this world. See, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's what the scripture says. And there was a, there was a little bit of a catch in being offered all the kingdoms of this world. If you'll bow down and worship me, <laughs> I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus went, no, I, 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 didn't really, I didn't really come for the kingdoms of this world. I came for the souls of the people. But I, the kingdoms of this world, uh, when, when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, you are a king then. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not, that's not what it's about. So he, you know, he wasn't, the only, the only thing Jesus ever had to say about politics was give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. That was it. Are we being conformed into his image? I don't know. We are being, but sometimes we get a little off track. And not only that, he didn't come to take sides on religion. Somebody say amen or something. Does, any, does anybody know what I'm talking about? He didn't come to take sides on religion. Uh, you know, the, the Sadducees were, were one of the religious uh, sects of the day that, that they had there. Uh, and they only recognized the authority of Moses. First five books of the Bible, or I, they didn't call it the Bible, but the first five books, the Pentateuch. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Because they didn't think Moses talked about, well, you know, Moses talked about supernatural. I mean, I, I think he did some, like, miracles. I don't know. But, uh, but they, didn't, they didn't believe in any of that stuff. They, they thought all that was done. And, uh, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. And I, I, I love the encounter that Jesus had with them on Passion Week uh, when, when they came up to him to try and trick him. And they were, they were saying, you know, uh, Master... Now, the scripture says that if a man dies and he has no children, then his brother should uh, marry his wife and raise up children for him. Uh, well, there was this guy who died and that very thing happened. And then, and then that brother died. In fact, there were seven brothers. They all had, had the same wife. Nobody had any children. So at the resurrection, whose wife is she? And Jesus said, you don't understand the scripture. You don't even understand the, the only five books that you know about. Because you're trying to say, see, there is no resurrection according to Moses. But the truth of the matter is, Moses encountered God at the burning bush. And God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this was 400 years after Jacob had died. But God isn't the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You know, and they're going, whoa, okay. But he didn't, he didn't, so he didn't side with them. Didn't side with the Pharisees either. The Pharisees... You know, the Pharisees, they believed the prophets. They, uh, they believed in miracles and angels and resurrection. And you throw it out there, they believed it. I mean, they were, they were, the, they were the charismatic holiness movement of the first century. They absolutely were. They probably had drums in their worship services. No? Okay. <laughs> There's just no telling. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't necessarily have great things to say about them either. There was, a, there was another group called the Essens, and uh, they were just weird. <laughs> you know, they were kind of like the, 
um, the Quakers and Shakers and, and, and kind of the fringe groups out there, and they were one of those. And, and there apparently are a few of those people who still claim to be Essens around today, and they'll all tell you, yeah, Jesus was an Essen. He didn't come to take sides about religion. See, he, he, he didn't come to um, um, utilize the power centers that the world utilizes. Politics, military, religion, uh, media, those particular things. No, he didn't do that. In fact, not, not only that, he also, uh, he, he didn't avoid or shun those considered unsavory. Those who were not able to really help. The, uh, all of the first three gospels record the religious community complaining that Jesus associated with uh, tax collectors and sinners and just, just low life, just bad people. And Jesus himself stated that he was charged with being a, a glutton and a drunkard. I know what you're saying about me. He's saying he's a glutton. He's a, he's, a, he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, he wasn't a glutton and he wasn't a drunkard, but he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In fact, he was a friend of whosoever will. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I mean, you know, Jesus was the first one to say, give me your tired, huddled masses longing to be free, and he meant it. So Jesus didn't concern himself with the usual power centers because he understood that that's not where the battle is. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces. In high places. Back in the 1960s. And I wanted to clarify, 1960s. I know we have some people here. Uh, yeah, I've just got to say, Wayne Berry's turning 70 tomorrow. Uh, you get applause for that? I'll be for turning 70. He's still sta- and he's still standing. Yeah, that's that's what you get the applause for. Back in the 1960s, there was a, a comedian named Flip Wilson, and uh, yeah, you, you got you got part of the group going. Yeah, you got part of the group going. Huh? Got in Flip Wilson, and he had a he had a catchphrase: "The devil made me do it." That's right. Uh, now, that's not an excuse for sin. That was the first excuse for sin, but it was only an excuse, you know, not, not, uh, not a reason. We're all individually accountable for what we do with what we know and with what we've been given. Now, I'm, I'm going to say that again. We're all individually accountable for what we do with, with, with what we know and what we've been given. And we can't look at somebody else and assume that they know and have been given the same things that we know and have been given. You say, well, does God do it that way? Yeah, I think he does. You know, Jesus said that to whom much has been given, much will be required. That those who know the right to do and don't do it will be punished more than those who didn't know. I mean, we say, well, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, we're not God. However, there is a devil. There are demons. There are evil spiritual forces. This isn't just Hollywood stuff or imaginary uh, spiritual crazies. And they are aligned against your soul. 
but against the soul of every human being on this planet. And to deny their existence is to deny Scripture. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What this passage said. See, the world system is opposed to God, and it's controlled by spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They don't stand for election. And they don't, they don't necessarily hold to any earthly creed. But they're there. You say, oh, well, okay, you got this one verse. Uh, not, not just this one. Uh, over in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah. Isaiah wasn't uh, one of those prophets who saw a lot of visions necessarily. I mean, he did see the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. But, I mean, if you want visions, go to Ezekiel or go to Daniel or, or read John's writings over in the New Testament. But Isaiah, over in... Uh, Isaiah 24, 21 says, in that day, speaking about the day of the Lord, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above, the kings on the earth below, (coughs) powers in the heavens above. He wasn't talking about the birds. He was talking about something else. And and Paul, Paul wasn't necessarily a mystic kind of guy, but Colossians 1 16, from him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. There are invisible powers. In fact, there, there is much more to the universe, there's certainly much more to even the physical universe, but there's much more out there that we can't see than what we can see. Uh, a whole lot more. Get right down to it. So I don't know about this invisible stuff. Uh, I mean, invisible powers? Uh, you're familiar with invisible powers? Magnetism, anybody? Uh, uh, gravity? You know, I want, we were, we were doing a play, uh, gee, I don't know, it's almost 10 years ago now, called God's Man in Texas. And I was God's man in Texas. And, uh, and we had a, we, we, we had a little extension built out from the stage there, and I was supposed to walk out on that extension. And so the, one of the, one of the tech rehearsal nights, everything was in a blackout. They hadn't decided that it was worthwhile to put glow tape on that thing yet. And I, uh, I just missed it. And an invisible power reached up and grabbed me and pulled me down on the floor. The wind? Yeah. And, and those are things that we kind of understand. No, oh, they're invisible powers out there. Uh, uh, one verse that I've always found kind of interesting is Colossians 2.15. Uh, Paul is talking about Christ and he says having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle over them triumphing over them by the cross where where did he make this public spectacle was it that wasn't in Jerusalem I don't think he you know went down the street after the cross you know leading Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas you know on a string or something but there was a public spectacle Maybe of a public that's a lot larger than the public we're familiar with and aware of. If the battle were waged, and here's, here's why it's important to believe this and know this. Because if the battle is waged against other people, then we could possibly fight in our own strength and prevail. We know how to fight other people. But if the battle is truly not against people, and it isn't, people aren't the battle, they're the prize. 
If, if it's not against people, then you have no chance of prevailing in your own strength. Not the, not the slightest sliver of hope. But you also have no chance of being defeated if you rely on his strength and his mighty power. Which is the other side of that. So rules of engagement, number one, rely on his strength. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Number two, recognize who the enemy is. And number three, you, your assignment. Be prepared to fulfill your assignment. And your assignment's very simple. It's just to stand. And this is how you do it. You put on the full armor of God. Back in... Uh, First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 17, David ends up fighting against Goliath. And he, uh, before he goes to fight Goliath, uh, he's talking to Saul and Saul finally agrees. Yeah, you can go, well, you know, we'll, we'll send you out to fight him. Uh, here, here's my armor, put this on. And David uh, puts on Saul's armor and he tries to walk around in it. And he goes, I can't wear this. It, I'm not used to it. And so he gave the armor back to Saul. Now, he rightly rejected Saul's armor, and there's, there are sermons to be preached there. He rightly rejected Saul's armor, but here's the point. He, he couldn't wear it because he wasn't used to it. He rejected it because he wasn't used to it. I don't think he thought, you know, if I take Saul's armor and go in his instead of the armor of God, no, I just can't do that. I, I mean, you know, now there, there's, there's, there is that spiritual lesson there, but I don't think he was thinking that. I just think he went, this doesn't feel right. It gave it back to, uh, to Saul. God comes to us and says, here's my armor, put it on. And we have a tendency to put it on and go, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to this. This, this isn't how I normally fight. This isn't what I normally wear. I'm not used to going out there with grace and humility and love and all that kind of stuff to fight a battle. So we have to be careful. Because, I mean, while we all go, yeah, I want the armor of God, are we used to it? Are we used to wearing it? We might have to make some adjustments for it to actually fit us and and feel like something that we can that we can actually move in. I mean, we're used to this, you know, or or this, or or the ballot box, or the boycott, or whatever, you know. And God says, "This is something different." Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, yeah, uh, I'm an optimist. Uh, people who who who, uh, who know me can testify to that, and some people some people think I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a wildly unrealistic optimist, and they're just wrong. <laughs> I am a wildly realistic optimist, is what I am. But at the same time, I will have to admit there have been a few times when I've gone into situations and gone, "Oh, this is going to be okay," only to go, "Ooh, yeah, well, maybe that didn't." quite go exactly how I thought it would. But, but ultimately, it, 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 it works out. You know, ultimately, it turns out. I mean, it's hardwired into my Irish DNA, John. Uh, this isn't gloom and doom by any means. However, the, uh, now that you're a king's kid, if you'll just have enough faith, nothing bad can ever happen to you, stuff is a lie. It's a big old L-I-E. 
liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> okay. If you can't preach with Connie in the congregation, you just can't <laughs> preach. That's all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> the day of evil will become. We love to quote, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You know what that means? Weapons going to be formed against you. They may not. Well, they won't prosper if you stand in the Lord, but they're going to be formed. They're, you know, they're, they're coming. First, uh, over in First Peter, Peter uh, says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That's not strange. It's, it's life in a fallen world. That's, that's what happened. People, I, yes, I believe in healing. Yes, I believe in miracles. Yes, I, I, I believe in the power of God. But you know what? People get sick. People die. Relationships get broken and fractured. Reversals come. De- defeats come. It, it, it happens. It just happens. And we, but we can endure. Our, our, our charge is to stand. Jesus said over in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. It's not reversed. It's not said, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. You may have peace. You will have peace if you, if you take it. But if you don't, it's not going to be forced on you. But trouble is. Winter is coming. Yeah, I know what y'all been doing. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid of this. You don't have to be freaked out about this. You, you, don't, you don't have to be a defeated. In him we have peace because in him we have ultimate victory. So put on his armor and stand. Our first point of business is to, is to stand firm. Don't confuse that with doing nothing. But understand that the order is not always charge. Um, Civil War historians are pretty much in agreement that had the South won at at Gettysburg, they would have ended up, even with with Vicksburg being taken by Grant, the the North would have finally just gone, no, we've had enough. And that that would have been that. But they didn't. And they didn't. Primarily, war historians would say, because of an an ill-advised charge. uh, Pickett's charge. They lost over 50% casualties. Uh, Charge is not always the right thing. Cash. Cash is much better, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. After you have done everything, what is doing everything? Draw your strength from the Lord and his mighty power. Recognize who the true enemy is. Put on the full armor of God. After you've done all that, 
stand. Stand. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to uh, pray with people come forward? Uh, And if you're here and you need prayer, you come. You come on down. Uh, Because you may, in fact, at this point, be facing the day of evil. Or you may see it coming. Or you may be afraid of it coming. Uh, It's not something strange. It's not, this isn't something that is unusual just to you. No, it's, it's something that everybody has to deal with from time to time. Uh, and you can try and fight it yourself. Or you can take on his strength and his mighty power. You know, I see, I see Chris over there. Those of you who don't know Chris, um, He's 30-something now. He's a man. 37. I think he was, yeah, I think he was 11 when I first came because he didn't come for a couple of years. And he was never supposed to make it out of his teenage years. And, 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 you, and you go, well, you know, we see Chris down there almost every week. Yeah, but you see a 37-year-old man who wasn't supposed to make it. So access that strength. If you don't need to come and, and pray, uh then worship with us for a while. Create an atmosphere for those who do.